Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Mateen Stewart. He is a comedian seen on HBO, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Adult Swim. He is also a wedding official and DJ and a love coach. I had no idea he was a love coach. Uh, I'm excited for our conversation today. We're going to talk about uh, the loss of his mom suddenly. We're going to talk about uh, what he's learned in therapy, which is beautiful. And then also, you know, he's a husband and uh, and a new dad. So we're going to, we got so much on his, on his meet today. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Mateen. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, bro. I appreciate it. And so if you hear a little giggle in our voices, it's because <laughs> we, re we were recording for 20 minutes and then I realized I wasn't recording. And so Mateen has been gracious uh, enough to uh hang in there and we're gonna we're gonna you know do some things again yeah um, man it's all good man i'm all good <laughs> we were we just did a show together and in a green room i was talking about my suicide prevention podcast and you shared a story about your uncle and how at the age of nine he ended his life and yeah uh, my, my and uncle. you discovered his body correct well i i mean Here's the thing. I I was a person that saw it. So like in my brain, I couldn't like really put together what I was looking at. So it doesn't really affect me as much as if I realized what I was looking at and was able to process it. So, yeah, my uncle committed and suicide. I'm sorry not to cut you off, but uh, we just don't want to mention how he did it just for the okay. listeners out there. OK. Yeah. And so I, I saw him from afar. Uh, and I didn't know what I was looking at from afar. And my dad was able to go and, and check out everything. And then he was able to save face enough to get us out of there and get us off to school. So we were able to, you know, do whatever we needed to do during the day. And then later on, when they picked us up, they explained to us what happened. And was that processed with you in any way? Was there a discussion? Was it kind of like hey you want some ice cream no man it was just a thing where you know we had as kids you know we all had a gather at my grandmother's house and and you know there was i was like yeah he was there and he he did it and he he committed suicide and but no nah, man it wasn't really any like sitting down it was just like yeah this is what happened he committed suicide and my uncle he was um he was he was an addict. He was he was on a lot more things uh, than I would have thought he was on when I was nine years old. Because being nine years old, I didn't really know what was going on. And you find out a lot more things as you get older. Uh, but yeah, man, he had a very tumultuous relationship with our family, and um, you know he was on the streets a lot, and he would do at odd jobs. And yeah, man, he. He always called me Wiggles because he said when I was a kid, my my I had a uh, fat cheeks, but um, but yeah, man, he was only, I want to say he was forty, yeah, he was four, yeah, he was forty when it happened, and yeah, that's he's the same age I was, wow. uh, he's the same age I am now when he did it, so, um, so yeah, man, it was just the thing where. He, he he was a uh, he had a lot of issues that he probably could have went and got help for. 
He was the only boy out of seven kids, uh, eight kids. So seven girls, and he was the only boy. Um, and, you know, he had, he had went through like a really bad breakup with his wife, and he just had a lot of things going on. And, I, and, and at some point, I, I feel like he was just tired, tired of everything that came along with all of that and decided to take himself out. Well, and I noticed that you said, you know, he could have gone to get help. And unfortunately, a, a lot of us, you know, don't get help in time. And but I know that for you, you, you know, you've been to couples therapy and you've been to individuals therapy. Can you talk to us about what led you into couples therapy? So initially, uh, I was with this woman and we were having some issues and uh, we went to couples therapy and then through there, we were able to have, we had to have our own individual therapist from there. So we continued to see our couples therapist and our individual therapist. And then we ended up breaking up and my therapist that I was seeing at the time ended up graduating from the program that we were going to. So I had just really like lost touch with her. And I hadn't seen uh, hadn't seen a therapist probably in like five years. It was like five years in between that. But then when my mom died of a heart attack in 2020, suddenly I called my old therapist and I I told her what happened, and she cried when I told her because even then, even five years later, she realized she knew how much I loved my mother and how much my mom meant to me. So for her you know, being able to like be that vulnerable and, you know, cause she didn't, we weren't client and therapist at that point. I was just calling her like, yo, I need to talk to you. And so she was like, I can't take you on, but I have an a intern who can take you on and she specializes in grief. And yeah, that helped me a lot, man. It helped me get through a lot of my, the pitfalls of losing someone because I, I say it was the lowest I've ever been. And that's the kind of low that you can't come back from. Cause like if you lose money, if you lose a job, if you lose a boyfriend, if you lose a girlfriend through like not, not death, but like if you break up with someone and you go through heartache, you know, you can become happy again. You can, you can, you can get more money. You can, you can not be addicted to those uh, medicines or alcohol, but you don't get another parent you don't get another mom you don't get another dad like once they're gone they're gone it's it's very infinite and yeah man i just had to have somebody that could help me navigate these things and these feelings that i was feeling because it was it was feeling of like no hope and didn't know what i could do but the thing i i kudos to my mom she always prepared us for moments like this and she you know she was an advocate of you know, knowing that life is 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 finite and knowing that we're not here forever. And she was very religious and I'm not religious at all. But for my mom's sake, I hope she was right, you know, because, you know, if anybody deserves to go to heaven and to experience the things that comes with going to heaven, I I wouldn't think of anybody else who would deserve it more than, than her, man. She was she was a giver. She was the most giving person that I met. She made sure that her kids were put in a place to succeed. And I talk about her so much that people assume that she was a single mom, but no, she wasn't. She just 
um, she was she took care of business in my household. My dad has his own issues, and I feel like he has a little survival uh, remorse because if you look at them too, and you look at my dad, and you look at my mom, my dad's been smoking and drinking forever, and he doesn't live a healthy lifestyle at all. And my mom was pretty healthy. She was, you know, vegetarian later on in her life. She didn't smoke. She was never a drinker. And here she is, you know, she just dropped dead of a heart attack at 66 on September 3rd, um, 2020. And, you know, it was a thing where she was having issues prior with like nausea and indigestion and her doctors just kind of skated around that. And a uh, heart attack looks different in, in women. It does. It's not the visceral uh, heart, heart, uh, pain or the arm pain and it doesn't look like what you see on tv and that's the thing leo man we never even see that trope on tv we never see women having heart attacks anywhere in the mainstream media or anywhere but heart disease kills women more than men kill women and that's the comedian in me coming up with that, but it's the truth bro it's so true. We we never hear about that. It's always the the man, uh, you know, like the Godfather. He's out in gardening, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, you know grabs his or you know in the in the kitchen or on a grill or something mm-hmm. or in the bathroom. Uh, even more embarrassingly, if uh, I, well, I don't want to spoil anything for the listeners out there, but there's a show I'm watching right now, and a, yeah. uh, a major character dies in the bathroom. But yeah, um, my, my mom was in the bathroom. She was in the tub, man, and she. She texted my sister that she didn't feel good. And then my sister went and then they didn't call me because they didn't want me to worry. And then my dad called me when she got into the ambulance. And I I was like, all right, well, keep me posted. I'll go take a shower. And I went to go take a shower. And when I got out the shower, my sister called me. She had called me like eight times and I called her back. And she's like, hey, you need to. Uh, you need to come home. She didn't make it. And, you know, that was a moment. I'll, that's a moment I'll never forget, bro. And then there were, I couldn't even go to the bathroom, bro, in my house because I was like so tra- triggered by the trauma of my mom's last moment being in, in the bath bathroom. And uh, therapy helped me get through all that. Um, and I'm so happy that I was able to uh, work, work through that, you know, hearing ambulance sounds, uh, was a trigger for me, uh, cause she passed away in the ambulance. Uh, yeah, man, it was just, the bathroom was another thing that was, 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 was a, was a trigger for me. So yeah, therapy helped me get through all that. What specifically happened in therapy or what did she say to you, do with you? Like, what did you practice that really helped you navigate it? Besides just the sharing of the the experience, uh, so we did this process. I can't even. It's called M E M D R. Uh, so it's a type of uh, therapy that uh, encourages patients to briefly focus on the trauma memory, and it while simultaneously like experiencing bilateral stimulation. So she would she would do this thing where. Uh, it's you either go with like tapping or you follow a, a, a light source or you do both where you're tapping and she'll like, all right, we're going to go, you know, she's tapping, I'm tapping my hands and she's like, all right, we're going to go to the bathroom. We're going to go to the bathroom where your mother is. And, you know, where, what are you feeling right now? 
what are you seeing? Um, and so it's supposed to help with uh, the reduction in the vividness and emotional uh, emotion that is associated with the trauma memories. So it tries to put you exactly where it is and ex relive that moment and experience that moment. Um, and what happens in those moments, especially since I wasn't there, I was always had this like bird's eye view of what things were. And I feel like I was always there with my mom or I was, I would, I could vividly put myself in that, that place where she was in her last moments and, and things like that. So uh, what EMDR does, it, it, it helps, you know, use the side to side uh, eye movements combined with like your therapist is talking to you in these moments. And so you try to get from uh, with like 10 being the most traumatic to essentially getting down to like a one where it's like you're able to navigate your life regularly through that. Yeah, I've, you know, walking, it was based off of walking because when we walk, our eyes go side to side. And that's mm -hmm. why walking can be so relaxing and soothing. And so in EMDR, it, it uh, triggers the eyes to also move laterally, um, mm -hmm. which, which is also why reading is more relaxing than scrolling on your phone because scrolling your eyes are kind of either fixated on one spot or going up and down, mm -hmm. um, which kind of triggers a, a fight or flight. So yeah, the EMDR, the tapping, I, I definitely subscribe to it. Uh, besides the EMDR and the tapping, were there other things that helped you to process it? Was there journaling? Was there meditation? Were there some ways that she helped you reframe your perspective on certain aspects of it? I mean, I mean, honestly, being being able to tell jokes, bro, like, honestly, man, like being able to have a vessel where I could have these moments where I could find the humor and, you know, lose to my mom and to to navigate those kind of like very deep, dark thoughts. Uh, and also having so not only did I lose my mom. Like three months later, I found out that that I was going to be a father. So that in itself was was a very unique experience because here I was, I lost the most important person in my life to be told three months later that I'm going to gain the most important person in my life. Uh, and so having these moments with with life and death, the full circle moment, my mom was really big into butterflies. Uh, butterflies is also like a sign of rebirth, uh, you know, caterpillars, you know, they, they, uh, the metamorphosis into a butterfly. So here I was, I lost my mom. Three months later, we found out that we we're going to have a, have a kid. Uh, our due date was the same day we lost my mom. Uh, so that in itself was, was very like powerful for for me. And then that's when I knew that I was like, all right, I need to, you know, I got to get this kid here healthy um, and do whatever I need to do to get it here. Even though I had no, <laughs> no uh, control of that, but you know, we had a healthy daughter and we were going to name the kid after my mother either way. So my mom's name is Jamie, J A Y M E. So we didn't know we were going to have. So I, I, I knew we wanted to name it Jamie and so when we had a girl, it was just like a very special moment because I lost my Jamie girl and I got my Jamie girl. And then 
come to find out that Jamie mean, uh, means supplanter, which means to be replaced after death. And I had no clue that that was even the case until I looked it up, uh, you know, a, a month after my, my daughter was born. Man, powerful story and beautiful way to draw those connections. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, your mom at the age of 66 dying suddenly from a heart attack and it looks different in women than it does in men. Talk to us a little bit about how do we get a doctor to hear us? Because I, I know that so many people go to the doctor and they mm -hmm. complain of nausea or pain and doctors sometimes can kind of just brush you off. I, I get that because I'm in super great shape. And so the doctors, when I go in, they go, well, you're fine. Look at you instead mm -hmm. of, you know, running a thorough test. So what way have you discovered to get the doctors to actually listen to you? So my friend, he is, um, he, he doesn't work in hospitals anymore, but he worked in administration for hospitals. And when I was telling him all this stuff about my mom, he goes, dude, you'd be surprised how, how common it is for doctors to just not listen to their patients. So what he suggested is if a doctor, if you tell a doctor you have some issues and the doctor's not listening to you, just ask the doctor to write in your notes that you address this and you wanted them to do certain things and that they specifically said no. Uh, if you ask the doctor that um, and they don't do it uh, and something happens to you, that doctor is going to be liable. But, but once you ask them, they're not going to want that responsibility. So they'll make sure that they'll get you whatever you need because they don't want to have that noted that you asked for something specifically and that they didn't want to do it because they work for you. Like, and I know there's lots of people that are hypochondriacs and everything, but my thing is those, those people are, who are hypochondriacs are very few and far between. And also when it comes to your health, it's your health. Like that doctor's getting paid. You're paying that doctor. If you have insurance, they're getting paid. They're charging you, overcharging you. So yeah, you should be able to get all the services that you need for your your time and your your money. And yeah, they 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 need to work for you. You talked about going to therapy to help process the the passing of your mom. How did you, or did you even have a conversation with your family afterwards? Was there a processing? Uh, a, 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 is there a tradition that you all have to? acknowledge her life like how was that handled is it or is it the same as when you're when you found your uncle i mean no man i for me i mean my mom was giving to people so essentially she made sure that we were put in a position when she passed away to to succeed so i knew that i wanted to be able to give back to others because that's what my mom did so i did start a scholarship in her name called the jamie m whitfield scholarship fund and so we're we raise money to provide um, scholarships to black women who attend a historically black college. Um, we intend on giving our first scholarship out this year. Um, I also provided uh, a year of diaper service for uh, single mothers. I think I had like eight single mothers uh, that I chose uh, to provide diapers for for their um, for their child for the first year of their life. And, you know, when it comes to therapy and, you know, my dad wasn't going to therapy and he finally went in. Cause I feel like he had some survivor's remorse 
essentially because he was they had a very tumultuous um marriage over the last 40 years that they were married and everything nothing was perfect but also i feel like if you if you looked at their their life and you lined them up you know my dad was the one that you would think that would have died of a heart attack early you know he drinks he smokes you know, it wasn't very healthy he's not very healthy um and my mom was the complete opposite so uh not drinker not not a drinker not a smoker never was a drinker never was a smoker um a relatively healthy i mean i wish she would have exercised a little more and got a little more cardiovascular in and you know i saw my mom in august of 2020 and we took a walk and she was out of breath she goes oh yeah i just gotta i just gotta get my breath up you know i gotta just you know walk the dog some more and everything and i mean now hindsight is 2020 and i didn't even know she was having these issues uh prior to her passing away because uh, she didn't say anything. She didn't open her mouth about anything. So, uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's just a lot that came with that. But yeah, we she passed away. We we buried her. She she was cremated. I didn't see her, uh, because I didn't want to uh that to be the last image I had of my mother. So I didn't see her. Uh, and then we had her 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 memorial service at six o'clock in the morning on September seventeenth. Uh, at the church that that she attended and it was COVID time so we had to be outside in the fall and outside in the cold and uh yeah we had it at 6 a.m and that's what she wanted she wanted everyone to to wear white uh and that's what we did in in 6 a.m because she said that she only wanted people uh there that really wanted to be there and that she wanted to be there so um yeah and I I, I was a the representative for my family, I got up there and spoke and, uh, yeah, told some jokes and, and, uh, and just made it special. And to this day, bro, it just, you know, things still hits me, man. It hit me when I took my daughter to Sesame Place in San Diego this weekend, where it's like, oh, wow, this is a moment I'm having with my daughter. This is a moment, you know, at Sesame Street, I had these moments with my, with my mom when I was a kid. And then I had went through the thought where like, oh, wow. I can't share this with her. <laughs> and that's always, those moments right there is always the ones that get me when, you know, I talk to my mom every day on the phone in the morning. And then, you know, you have these moments or you have these these good things that happen to you in your life. And like, oh yeah, I got to call my mom. And then you do it. And I'm like, oh yeah, she's not, she's not here anymore. So, and I think that, I'll, I don't think that I'll ever go away. Yeah, I, you know, and, because you were talking earlier about your mom, you know, being a bit winded and, you know, not recognizing the signs earlier. And I think because a lot of our mindset is, well, if you're winded, then you're you're just out of shape. Right. Like, yeah, you got to yeah. exercise more versus, oh, maybe there's a leaky valve or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's some arterial blockage. Like we're not really trained to notice the signs, which is ridiculous. Like. We're, you know, we're always looking for like the red flags in, you know, people who we shouldn't be around or the, you know, for yeah. danger. But, mm -hmm. you know, the thing that is the number one killer, no one is really promoting or talking about that. No, not at all, man. Yeah, man, it's, it is the killer, bro. I, the numbers are just crazy when you, when you really think about like heart disease in women and then they're even, 
crazier when you look at heart disease in uh, women of color, brown and black women. Um, yeah, yeah, and we know that uh, when we look at the top killers of people in general, it's, it's uh, you know, obesity, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease. Like the, a lot mm-hmm. of them are lifestyle. What, what what's the? We know this. We're aware of this. What what is the barriers though to us? taking better care of ourselves and, and eating in, in alignment with that. Yeah. I mean, and, and you can, you know, you can eat in alignment with it. And, but also, like you said, you can be a, uh, you can present as a fit person and you could have a clog artery. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like, you know, you need to exercise is key. Like, you know, you could, and you can, and, and I, there are people who are, you know, big people who have no dis- no uh problems with that but i mean it it definitely helps to be active being active eating uh lots of vegetables fruits and vegetables uh but like we mentioned before bro like it's so easy to just be unhealthy being unhealthy is the easiest thing to do especially living here in america where there's so much uh access to like bad things that's why you see someone who you, you know who's homeless who doesn't have a lot of things and you know they they're big they're a big person you're like how'd that happen because you know you don't need you know cheeseburgers and french fries and cake and 99 cent takis and and now with kids kids aren't as active as they used to be when we were growing up bro like when i got home from school i did my homework to go outside and play you know when was the last time you seen kids outside playing it's so true. I think, and and we've been scared because there was a period where we we're all outside playing, and then it was like stranger danger, stranger yeah. danger. Yeah. And so now we're all staying inside, and now the danger is you know scrolling and cyberbullying and the, the the easy access to like you said to to food and snacks has gotten cheaper and mm-hmm. more accessible. And now with DoorDash and Uber Eats, kids can just order it to their homes. They don't you know. They, you don't they even don't have, have to go to, out. You yeah. don't even have to go out to to get it. Uh, no. Yeah, I used to have to walk to like there's a Burger King in a White Castle, and I mean, but at least I walked to go to the Burger King in White Castle. I didn't have to get it like right delivered to my house, man. And I think that's what was with the pandemic, where I gained a bunch of weight in the pandemic because it was just like I, you know, I wasn't as active as I, I prior was. Like just your day to day moving around and those calories that you burn, man. Those are those are important. And so being a, a father, a husband, mm-hmm. you have a daughter now, what are some of the things that you're learning from therapy that you're now passing on to your daughter? Well, I mean, for me, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm I'm a good example. And the things that, that I take away from just being growing up and like seeing all the, the, the issues and, and things that. Uh, that my parents had and like the things that, you know, my dad, you know, my dad wasn't perfect by any means, but the, the things, the things that they did that I didn't agree with specifically, not passing down those things to her, like not arguing and yelling in front of her, not having these, these like very like toxic situations, um, because honestly, my parents should have been divorced a long time ago. But my mom was true to her vows, you know, that she made. Uh, and it was and it was very codependent. 
it was a very codependent relationship uh i i feel but i don't i don't want to you know have that have my daughter see that i don't want her to see any of the the toxic things that i had to to go through and get through the muck to do but also i want to be want her to be able to be like yo yo there's you can be active you can you can go outside you could play you could swim you could you can do all these things you don't necessarily have to be adhere to the screen but that's it's so hard at times because like as a parent there's so many other options for kids to do than there was when we were growing up and you know and before i was a parent i was like how can you get a tablet for your child to watch or whatever but now i'm a parent I'm like oh, i gotta get this shit done like i need to for her to watch these things so now we try to stick to like educational things um things that she can learn and she's picking up on things like she knows a lot of sign language from this lady miss rachel uh yeah her colors and things like that uh we also we do try to limit the screen time and have like a lot of toys and read a lot of books to her i think reading to your child is so important it is one of the most important things you can do is to read to your child so they can hear your voice and they could they could know what certain things is and they just learn through osmosis because there's this book that we read to her and the character you're looking for the character and it's like is this character underneath this and he, and he goes no so now she can she's able to like know when to say no and it's such a like great moment when you see these light bulbs clicking with inside of her i love that idea of reading to your child absolutely and then also not just reading to her but asking her questions and processing what she's learning so that she's taking you know that she's processing the the lessons that you want her to get from that yeah exactly what are you reading right now are you reading anything how are you how are you feeding your brain uh, I am I am not reading anything um right now, but I so what I do is I try to I try to do um I do audiobooks. It's so hard, it's so hard for me to sit down and read, man, honestly. But um I do a lot of audiobooks, I do a lot of uh podcasts. Uh the last book that uh I read, oof, like I did read this like hard copy. I wrote a book. Read a book called uh, Presto by Penn Jillette. It's called uh, Presto: How I Made a Hundred Pounds Disappear, and I did that um, the diet that he did in that last year, and I was able to lose like fifty pounds um, in a short amount of time, in like seven weeks. Uh, it is a, is a very extreme diet, but it's it's a thing where like when you when you set out to do something and you accomplish goals that in itself breeds more things that you can do. And I feel like a lot of times people get stagnant with things because they don't accomplish any goals and they're always trying to do big things. And I say, if you're having, if you're, if you're having time, like having a tough time or you're sad about something, give yourself a tiny goal. Just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to drink this amount of water each day. And then once you accomplish that, then go say, I'm going to do this. And then that begets other things that you'll be able to accomplish. So how much did you weigh at your highest? My highest was like 280, bro. 280. And how tall are you? I'm 6'3". 6'3", 280. And then you lost 50 pounds in seven weeks. W was there, 
what was the hardest part about that? Were you busy? Were you starving? Were you like no? So the the whole the whole um this whole thing that he started is it's a it's a diet that this guy Ray Cronice came up with, and essentially people call it the famine diet, but it's it's uh it's potatoes. So it's called the potato diet. So you eat potatoes, just plain potatoes for the first two weeks. No salt, no sugar, no nothing. No, you you can have coffee and water. And then the third week you add uh, beans. The fourth week you add corn. And the fifth week you add rice and tomatoes. And then the sixth week you add uh, lettuce. And so what it does is a lot of times people are like, oh, you're just eating carbs, 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 carbs. Carbs aren't your enemy, bro. They're not. I tell people carbs aren't your enemy. Um, but also the way that it treats your body it essentially resets your body. So I know that I needed this to reset my body because when I went to the doctor, I was pre-diabetic. Uh, I had hypertension. I was pre um, and uh, my blood pressure, my blood pressure was really bad. And so once I did all these things and I lost the weight, uh, all my numbers went back. My good cholesterol was all my, my, my cholesterol went back to normal. I was no longer pre-diabetic and I've gained, you know, I've naturally gained some weight since since that because that was so extreme. But yeah, man, I was able to like, and, and I, you know, I look at pictures from myself before. And you know, when I get down on myself now and I'm like, ah, oh, but then I look at pictures where I was last year and I go, oh yeah, you gotta, I, I'm a, I'm a long way from where I was last year. So I, you know, I take, I take, uh, I take very, I'm, I'm very proud of where I, where I am now uh seeing where I was last year. Yeah, I mean sticking to anything for seven weeks, seven days, seven hours, I mean, is an accomplishment. And I love this idea of start small. Don't try to tackle the big things. You don't mm-hmm. don't say I'm gonna write a New York Times bestseller today. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Say I'm gonna I'll send out a text message or something or I'll I'll just write the title page or mm-hmm. just do the outline or table of content. Start small and work your way up. And then, so after that seven weeks, um, I'm a, is that how long they suggest to stay on it? Like how long do they say to stay on no, it? No. So the, the whole thing is you, you do the diet until you, um, reach your goal. That that's the, that's the goal. You do the diet until you reach your goal. Um, and so once you do that, then, what Penn did is he, you know, he he ate pretty much vegan, uh, non he calls non ethical vegan. So he wasn't vegan because of you know animals or whatever. And then he gave himself um, two meals uh, a month where he could just eat whatever he wanted to eat. And the diet that I did, you don't even exercise with it. It's just eating. You just eat the foods that they tell you to eat, and the weight just just disappears. And so then you have to work your way up into like working out again. And, and that was the hardest part for me is like not working out. Cause you know, when you, when you think about losing weight, you go, I got to work out. I got to do this. He was like, no, you don't, it, it, you don't have to do anything of that. And the guy who came up with the thing, uh, his name is Ray Cronice. He, he's, a, he's not, a, I, I think he might be a doctor. If he's not a doctor, he's a food scientist, but um, yeah, man, it works. It's hard. It's hard. But I, I tell people, you know, it's, it's hard dying. Uh, before you reach 40. So um, it, it took a lot of focus. It took a lot of dedication. And 
and and I was able to do it, man. And I had this sense of like this pride when I was able to like get to my goal weight that I wanted. And and yeah, man, it it it, it it's not sustainable as far as like doing super long term. But if you want to lose weight and you want to jumpstart your your health, I I I'd say do it. But it's not easy. Yeah, because then it's what do you do after, right? Because to me, the diet itself is typically not what's dangerous. It's the that in that time, we haven't really developed a habit that we can replicate or scale after, right? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. you're not just going to eat potatoes and, you know, you're not going to eat like that for the rest of your life. And so you still haven't really found a way to incorporate healthy eating and shopping and cooking and balance and balance and all those things into your, your lifestyle. So then uh, for anybody listening in, typically what happens is the pendulum swings in the other direction to something uh, else that's extreme uh, to kind of counteract the effects of something like the, the potato diet. And so, but you know, I think, as we talked about at the beginning of this, you know, everything in doses, right? Where Mm -hmm. we we know from biblical times and cultures and religions, they practice fasting, which is extreme uh, Mm -hmm. for some people. And, you know, Indian and and Native American or indigenous cultures where they have their own forms of, of fasting or just drinking this for, you know, a few days or 30 days or what have Mm -hmm. you. So every culture has this. It's just making sure that not only do you uh, plan for the diet, you plan for getting off of it, making sure you have support in place so that after that seven weeks or 30 days or two weeks or three months that you then have the next structure you're going to plant yourself into. So then you're not just kind of in limbo again Mm -hmm. and then finding yourself back to where you were or even worse. Yeah, cuz there's so many different things, man, and like I have a friend that he he he's a um he's a one meal a day guy. So he he eats between he fasts for 23 hours and he'll eat whatever he wants for that hour and that's how he maintains. You know, I have I have friends that are like they eat every every two and a half hours. You have, you know, people I I myself right now I I intermittently fast. So I will, I'll just, I'll have, I'll eat, I'll eat lunch. Like my, I have coffee in the morning and then I'll eat like a, a meal, which is like fats and proteins at like noon. And then for dinner, I'll have proteins and carbs and a veggie. And then that'll be it. But if I know that I'm going to like, if I'm going to have like a late night or I'm doing a show, I'll eat later in the day. That way, like if I'm out, I can eat later at night. But um, but yeah, I did this. I also and I usually follow the thing where it's like, if I'm on the road, you know, I don't. I try not to like get too crazy about, it, especially if like if I'm at a club or, but but um, I try to not like not worry about it, stress about it too much. But yeah, man, if I'm home, I try to control what I can control, and I think that's the biggest thing is like controlling what you can control, and and fuel and food is fuel. So if you have that McDonald's or whatever, make sure you do something to burn that off. Uh, use it as fuel because food is fuel. 
and not get down on yourself. Like, oh man, I just ate this chocolate cake. So yeah, you ate that chocolate cake. Go say today I ate this chocolate cake. I'm gonna try to get these ten thousand steps, or I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a, a a long walk or a run or something like that. And I feel like once you get in that mindset, you won't get like too down on yourself about things. Yeah, that that idea in Jap in Japan they say um, if you walk a hundred steps after every meal then you'll live to be a hundred. Mm-hmm. And the healthiest place in the world is Okinawa, Japan. They mm-hmm. live the longest. Yeah. Yeah. Getting those steps and hands behind the back. Uh, last mm-hmm. question, Mateen is asked this yes. of all my guests. Cause I always imagine there's a person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them? What would I say to a person before they kill themselves? Are, are you sure that this will make the world a better place? Like, is this, is what is this off? And are your people going to miss you? Like, think about the people that are going to miss you. Um, Because that, that would be, for me, like, I can't fathom how a parent can do that to their children, to their children. And like, I can't even imagine putting my daughter to that so yeah just think about the people that will miss you and i think that's what i would tell somebody before they kill themselves thank you so much mateen thank you so much listeners for tuning in remember this podcast is not a substitute to get help call the 988 or any of the international phone numbers that are listed in each and every single one of the show notes you can talk chat text you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly Let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks a lot, Mateen. Thank you, Leah.